Hello, friends. This is Alan Kirshner from Eschatos Ministries. The impact of Bible Prophecy Daily has exceeded our expectations, with regular listeners downloading all over the world. If you are finding value in these podcasts as they help you prepare for our Lord's return, would you consider giving to Eschatos Ministries? Simply click the support button in the corner of the podcast website at BibleProphecyDaily.com. Your support will help us maintain the delivery of this daily one-of-a-kind podcast. Thank you. You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. It is important for us to stay apprised of what is taking place politically, geopolitically, uh, over in the Middle East, because all of these things are, again, moving pieces on the chessboard ever closer to the emergence of the Antichrist and the return of Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, I, don't, I don't want us to lose sight of how quickly we are moving towards those days. We are, we are rocketing towards the end of the age. And I do believe... Um, that the events that are taking place over there right now are very significant in moving us in that direction. So post-war Gaza, what to watch for in the Middle East? What is, what is potentially on the way? And again, I am not saying that I have a crystal ball and I'm not, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, um, but I would suggest to you that uh, some things that may be transpiring in the near future and maybe what you can be watching for uh, as things continue to develop. Obviously, you know, on October 7th, there was an incursion uh, from uh, Hamas terrorists into Israel and southern Israel from Gaza, and there was a massacre. It was a horrific thing, um, uh, uh, torture and murder uh, on, a, on a level hard to even imagine. And... Um, uh, many hostages were taken, uh, over 200, I think 240-ish uh, hostages, many who, of whom were Israelis, but there were some foreign nationals there as well, were taken back into Gaza, down into the tunnels. Uh, obviously, you know that Israel has uh, retaliated back into Gaza, and there's a campaign of targeted attacks on Hamas. There is uh, a painstaking effort on the part of Israel not to incur civilian casualties over there, and obviously Israel doesn't want to lose their own soldiers. Um, there has been a break or hiatus uh, with the exchange of some hostages, where the hostages were released, I think about 110 or so, uh, maybe a little bit more, released from the terrorists back to Israel, and I think Israel has released about 240 or so um, militants who were in Israeli uh, prisons from the Palestinian areas of Gaza and the West Bank that were released as well as part of the deal. Um, that took about a week or so, and now Israel is back to its targeted attacks on uh, terror strongholds within Gaza. So I want to zoom in just a little bit more. This gives you just the general framework of the location of where these uh, locations are, are situated. You have the Gaza Strip down here along the Mediterranean Sea uh, in southwestern Israel. Uh, with a border 
also against Egypt in the Sinai. And then over here you have, you see this purple dotted line of the West Bank. This is also a lot of Palestinian areas, although there are many Jewish settlements that are sprinkled into this West Bank area too. You can see the major cities of Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, but Israel's population uh, comes from Tel Aviv all the way down the coast to larger city of Ashdod and a little bit smaller city of Ashkelon and then right up to the border of Shtarot. I've been to all these cities. I've been on the border here many times with groups doing humanitarian work and evangelistic work uh, in the city of Shtarot. Uh, so it is very near and dear uh, to us um, and uh, uh, just shocking some of the things that have transpired. But what Israel is doing, and I'm gonna zoom in for you, what Israel is doing is really going into this northern section. So that was the first uh, really retaliatory incursion back into the area of Gaza, uh, into this area, really uh, giving the people here, essentially saying you must move south uh, of a crossing location here, you must move south, and Israel and their soldiers are really going door to door getting into those tunnels, because what happens is that the soldiers can go through and clear a building and then move on, and behind them, you can have terrorists popping up from the tunnels down below. So it's a very long, painstaking process that has to transpire. Um, so Israel has really encouraged and gave lots of time for the Palestinian civilians to move south into this area. But it's a small area. It's about 25 miles in length four to seven miles in width, depending on where you are. And then you have the Egyptian border at the bottom. Now, you should understand that most of the nations of the Middle East that surround Israel, they don't want Palestinians either. Um, Egypt does not want Palestinians pouring into, into Egypt. Um, they already have enough challenges and problems and terror issues. They don't need more Palestinians and Hamas that's embedded with the Palestinian people coming into northern Sinai. They don't want that issue. Jordan already has a lot of Palestinians that go back uh, historically, um, and Jordan has, it's a very thorny issue in Jordan. Um, the king of Jordan struggles with his Palestinian population that's there. Uh, the king of Jordan is not Palestinian. He's a Hashemite uh, tribal. And so he has a very uneasy situation with the Palestinians who are living uh, and growing in his, in his country. Um, Lebanon uh, historically has had a big problem with Palestinians. Uh, so it is not just an issue with Israel. Um, the surrounding Arab nations really don't want the Palestinians coming there either. Um, so Israel has just recently said to the Arab world, to Saudi Arabia, to the United Arab Emirates, uh, to Jordan, to Egypt, has basically said to them, we want to create a buffer. When this is all done, we want a larger buffer up here than what we've had. Because again, Gaza City with millions of people is very close to these border cities in Israel and very easy to launch rockets and to do other things and to uh, create additional incursions. So Israel wants to keep that from happening again. And so Israel has said to the, to the Arab world, uh, we're creating a buffer. We don't want um, this, the situation to remain the way it has been. And so that's why they're pushing further to the south, the population within the Palestinian areas. Now, what you should understand, and we're not gonna spend a lot of time on it today, there was a peace proposal written during the Trump administration. And it was called the Peace to Prosperity Plan. 
And if you recall, President Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, worked on this throughout the Trump years in the White House and came up with a plan. It's a 180-page book of an entire plan from political to every which way to economic of a plan that potentially could work, according to those who wrote it, um, for a, uh, a stable Palestinian area and a Palestinian state. Now, I'm not commenting on that from the standpoint of what the Bible says. I don't believe that the land of Israel should be divided into the Bible and God doesn't want that to take place. But from a, uh, from a perspective of a politician who says, we wanna solve the problem and have a peaceful situation and a peaceful re resolution, this plan was created. It is a remarkable plan from the standpoint of looking at it politically and economically. Uh, and it has a lot of historical data woven into this 180-page book. I read through it and I just glanced through it again last night. Uh, it is quite remarkable in what it proposes. And essentially, to give it, in, give it to you in a nutshell, there are three main components to it. Unleashing economic potential in the areas of Gaza and the West Bank. Empowering the Palestinian people and three, enhancing Palestinian governance. Now, what you should understand is when the Trump administration were bringing together multinational corporations and uh, uh, countries, nations of the world, to say what could a plan look like that we're putting together and how could multinational corporations and countries come together to stabilize this region, to stabilize this area for the benefit of Israel and the Palestinian people and the greater Middle East. There was a lot of agreement that a lot of the components within this plan made sense and were workable. But you know what the sticking point was? We cannot implement this strategy so long as Hamas is governing Gaza. <coughs> Hamas has got to go. And there were many who said we would step up with funding to help to, to rebuild the areas, to create infrastructure, to create ports and airports, even a proposal to build an island off the coast of uh, Gaza for an airport and for, uh, for a port uh, for, for the Palestinian people. Um, so there was a lot put in place and seemed workable but no investment would take place so long as Hamas was there. I have not heard very much about the plan since it was released in 2020. But I think that it's entirely possible that because Israel and because the Saudis and because the Emiratis from the United Arab Emirates on the Persian Gulf and Jordan and Egypt were all part of the dialogue of this plan that I suspect that behind the scenes, they all know what they all saw in common was we can change this area for the greater good and create a workable two-state solution if we don't have terrorists ruling Gaza and obviously also in the West Bank areas. So what I would watch for even though the nations, these Arab nations all talk tough because they have to for the Muslim populations in their own countries and around the whole Middle East. They have to talk tough against Israel. But if you listen carefully, you'll hear that the Saudis are not quite so intense in the rebuffing Israel for what's taking place. 
You'll notice the Egyptians are not quite as, as uh, robust in the language that they've used to decry what Israel is doing in Gaza. And the reason is they know that it's an untenable situation because of terrorists who are ruling in that area. So what I would watch for potentially, whether it's this go-round or another go-round, what I would watch for is the potential, because Gaza is such a small area and you have such a large population, one of the most densely populated uh, locations on Earth, they need more land to actually be a viable state economically or country economically. And so it's entirely possible that Egypt could be arm twisted into giving up some small areas of territory of the Sinai Peninsula, which is adjacent to Gaza, in order to facilitate economic growth within Gaza so that they actually can have businesses and agriculture and other things to become more viable. Uh, it's also possible, and in the, in the Peace to Prosperity Plan, there were three enclaves that of land that Israel was willing to give up, at least on paper, just to the south along Israel's border with Egypt, just to the south of Gaza, where there were areas for agriculture, for commerce, and for economic growth for the Palestinian people. And then the thorny issue of how do you have Gaza, which is on the coast, and the West Bank, which is near Jerusalem in ancient Judea, Samaria, along the Jordan River, they don't, they're not contiguous. How do you solve that problem? Within the proposal during the Trump administration, there was a tunnel proposed from the area of Shtarot in northern Gaza underneath of Israel all the way to connect to the West Bank so that there could be a free flow of movement of the Palestinian people between the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. So all that to say is I would watch to see that within all of the dialogue and all the back and forth, the ultimate goal is to create a stable situation. And Israel doesn't want to hurt the innocent Palestinian people. Of course, the Arab world around wants to have a stable Palestinian people living in those areas. And so therefore, it is entirely possible that what you may see are the general following of the guidelines that were set forth, again, during the Trump administration in this, this uh, peace to prosperity plan, which essentially, if Hamas is rooted out and Gaza is demilitarized, you may have the influx of nations and corporations pouring money into the reconstruction and the redevelopment of Gaza. And the idea is, as the Palestinian people accept Israel's existence, that they have a right to exist in the land, and as the Palestinian people say, we want peace, not war. And as the Palestinian people say, we want to raise our families, we want to have economic prosperity and hope. And as they meet certain criteria specified in the plan, there will be more investment coming in to the area in a reward for their adhering to those requirements. So as the area changes, more investment pours in, both from corporations and from nation states around the world. So I would suggest that you may see that happening. Now, why is all this so significant? Obviously, we wanna have peace in the region, but how does it play into what's coming potentially in the future? Remember, again, during President Trump's administration, there was an initiation of a new, a new peace plan in the region, beyond just this one. It was called the Abraham Accord. 
And you know, remember I told you that the names that are selected for these wars or these peace plans are very significant. They chose the name Abraham Accord. Why did they choose that? Because Arabs and Jews are half brothers. And they trace their lineage back to Abraham. Abraham had Ishmael through his handmaiden, Hagar, and Isaac through Sarah, his wife. So they're half brothers. And I believe that what is happening is an appeal to the Arab world. Now that doesn't mean all Islamic nations. An appeal to the Arab world to say, you're half brothers with the Jews. Isn't it time to make peace? And let's call it, for starters, the Abraham Accord. Now, to non-Arab states like Turkey or Iran, how do you think they feel about that? They don't have the same warm, fuzzy feeling that maybe the Arab states have and the leadership within the Arab world. And you understand that Egypt and Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates and Jordan, all of those nations have a direct benefit in many ways in terms of making peace with Israel. Economically they benefit, militarily they benefit, in tourism they, they benefit. So there are a lot of potential benefits that the Arab world realizes if they make peace with Israel and normalize relations. And I think that is where this is moving. Now what have the Saudis said? The Saudis are the next, the next nation up in the Abraham Accords. And there was big talk before the October 7th incursion from Hamas into Israel. It was big talk that the Saudis were about to sign on the dotted line for the Abraham Accords to be the next nation. That would be a total game changer to normalize relations with Israel between Saudi Arabia, the center of Islam in the world with Mecca and Medina, two of the holy cities of Islam, the center of Islam, to make peace with Israel, it'd be a total game changer in the region. But Saudi Arabia wants to do it, and the crown prince of Saudi Arabia wants to do it for economic and military reasons. Why? Because they share a common enemy, Israel and Saudi Arabia, and that is Iran, and also Turkey. So what you have is the, the, the growing region of the south of Israel, the Arab states, that are coming together potentially with Israel as a block. And what you have is a northern coalition of nations, not Arab, but also Islamic, Turkey, Iran, and some of the Central Asian republics that are also Islamic today, forming a different block. And I think that's where things are moving. But what did the Saudis say before they would sign on the dotted line for the Abraham Accord? Israel must solve the Palestinian issue. The Palestinian issue, this has been a long-standing thing. We won't make peace with Israel because of this Palestinian thorny problem that we have. It needs to be solved. And the Saudis can't just go in and make peace with Israel and normalize relations. The rest of the Arab world would condemn them. The rest of the Islamic world would condemn them. How could you make peace with Israel and when the poor Palestinians are suffering the way they are? So the Saudis have to see the Palestinian issue resolved. So I would suggest to you that it's entirely possible that the way things may move, and we'll see, is that there's an international peacekeeping force that comes into, who's gonna govern Gaza after all this? 
Israel doesn't want to go in there and have to govern that. It's a mess. Watch for international money pouring into Gaza for reconstruction. Watch for an international peacekeeping force, potentially the Arab states, who the Palestinians would probably accept there, of Egypt, Saudi Arabia, UAE, Jordan, a multinational force that's, that's governing there or watching over the governance of the Palestinian areas of Gaza. And Saudi money and UAE money pouring in as well. And watch for the potential to give additional territories in the northern Sinai in Egypt or in southern Israel to the Palestinian people so that they can have a viable state. And in that situation, Saudi Arabia can say, see, we did it. We, we're pouring money in, we're helping them, we're helping with governance, we're keeping the peace. And now we can sign on the dotted line with Israel for peace, security, and economic benefit and tourism between the two. Jewish people would love to go to Saudi Arabia, particularly in light of the fact that it's entirely possible that the real site for Mount Sinai is in Saudi Arabia. Jewish people would love to visit that, as we did a year and a half ago. But also, there are a lot of Saudis and, and people in the Arab world who would love to come to Jerusalem. Why? Because their third most holy site, the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock, since on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. So this is the way things are shaping up potentially. We'll have to watch. I'm not saying it's gonna happen in a day, but I think that's the trajectory that we are on. And the reason that October 7th happened the way it did and the massacre that took place under the financial impact of Iran and the influence of Iran is because Iran does not want to see any of this happen. They want to keep Hamas in Gaza and Hezbollah in Israel's northern border to continue to put pressure on Israel and they don't want to see an Arab-Israeli bloc forming for peace because it puts Iran on the defensive. And that may be the reason that we're seeing a lot of these things transpire. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 